Hey everyone, welcome back to the Health Chronicles podcast. Today we'll be getting into religion, how celebrating and taking part in certain religious activities as a chronic illness patient post kidney transplant has changed for us three ladies. And I think this is such a relevant topic because Ramadan is starting this coming week um, on Tuesday, April 13th, I believe. Um, it'll be interesting to hear from you, Fatu, because I know you were diagnosed from a very early, early age, and so you weren't able yeah. to take part in fasting or Ramadan as much as your family, as much as other mm-hmm. Muslims do. How was that for you growing up, and how do you, um, and how has that changed for you now that you're an adult? Yes, because I was um, diagnosed at ten years old, never got a chance to fast. It definitely it definitely made me feel like I wasn't celebrating or I wasn't participating in Ramadan the correct way because I would see everyone around me, you know, my older sister, um, you know, cousins, everyone around me was fasting and I'm like the only one who can't because of the daily medication I took. So it definitely made me feel like I didn't, I wasn't, like I said, um, you know, participating in Ramadan the correct way. I would, I would, all, I would also, um, you know, pray and, you know, do all the other things, but then, yeah, <laughs> I would just never feel like I was in there, right, and you know how at night where we have to all break our fast and everything like that, everybody would just be, you know, making their tea, you know, getting their water together, you know, eating, like, you know, just in a rush to eat or whatever, and I'm just, like, there, because I'm the only one who's eaten all day, so it's, like, you know, I can't, I, I don't know that feeling, you know, um, Usually, yeah. you know, in Islam, um, girls start, you know, fasting. Like, I believe it's either when you're 13 or when you start seeing your, your menstrual cycle. So I was, you know, I got diagnosed way before then. So it was like something that I never, I've never fasted ever. Um, and now that I'm an mm-hmm. adult um, and, you know, a lot older now, I was told um, and taught that, you know, because I'm one of the, one of the people that can't fast due to medical reasons, I have to give charity or feed somebody else. So every year I try to, you know, collect some money and, um, take it, you know, send it back home to the Gambia to people in need, um, Mm -hmm. or just try to, you know, prepare meals for the family. Just do it, you know, yeah, just do those type of activities, at least since I can't fast, but that can somewhat count as fasting. And of course, um, you know, just pray. And even though I can't due to medical needs fast, I still ask for forgiveness, you know, because it's something that I, 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 I really don't think I'll ever truly feel like I ever really participated in Ramadan ever. So I still feel that little bit of guilt. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah. So that's why I always just little like, you know, do those little things and major like I said, asking for forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because yeah. also like with Ramadan, fasting is such a huge component of Ramadan. It's like the central yes. aspect of it. And so not being able to participate feels like you're not part of the Ramadan spirit or you're not really reaping the benefits of this holy month. Um, exactly. So I absolutely yes. get where you're coming from, for too, especially if that's been your whole life, basically. Yes, um, I participated or I fasted um, growing up throughout my 20s for the most part until I got diagnosed right. three years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that sudden shift of not being able to fast was quite sudden for me. 
Um, of course. Because throughout the day, it's just there's, you know, various touch points when it comes to fasting. Like you said, you know, breaking your fast together as a family or waking up together to, you know, have your, um, like, you know, your breakfast before suhoor, fasting yeah. day. Yeah, for suhoor. And so um, not being able to really participate in those moments throughout the day did feel a bit yeah. isolating um, to in the beginning for me back in 2019. And it still is. I feel like it's something I'm still getting really, I'm still getting used to and accepting and thinking of ways I could still be part of Ramadan because there are other aspects of Ramadan, um, spiritual aspects uh, that you could take part of and like be part of it. But at the same time, because fasting is so, it's a key focus. Um, If you ask non-Muslims, they see Ramadan as fasting. Like that's it, you know? I agree. Yeah. (laughs) And so just, I think, um, what I've been learning is just trying to re-educate myself and seeing how, what, what are other ways that I could take part in Ramadan. Um, there's lots of prayers that we do during Ramadan, you know, staying up really late towards the end of the night, um, waking up really early to, to do some salahs, some prayers, um, you know, donating charity, like you mentioned, Fatu, but that is a requirement. So if you're not fasting and you're a Muslim, um, because of you know health conditions, uh, you are required to take care of someone in need who is fasting and um, helping them with food and supporting them in that way every single day of the month of Ramadan. Um, so that is a requirement if you if you cannot for some reason fast. But other than that requirement, you know there are additional ways that you could still be part of Ramadan, but the, these are things that I try to do, but at the same time, it's still, there's still a void that feels like that I'm missing or that I'm not feeling completely because of that fasting component. <laughs> um, I don't know how you feel here, I know um, with the Hindu culture that there are sort of various points where um, you are required to fast for certain like religious holidays. And I don't know if it's the same requirements of fasting for you in, in your in your religion yeah so I feel like in my religion I don't think there is a larger time frame similar to like Ramadan where you guys do it for x amount of period of time usually what I've experienced with um, Hinduism and holidays is that like you'll fast for a day or two but there are multiple fasting days within a month so essentially it could be that you're fasting at least once a week if that's the case but what I've realized is like when I got diagnosed at 15 so at that time that's when I was becoming more familiar with fasting because I was of an age where like I would you know I guess be able to handle fasting or that like I would know kind of the um the background or understanding of why I'm fasting versus like being a child. So I think that was the, the age where I could, um, I guess, kind of appreciate it more as well, because I know the purpose and the meaning behind fasting. But I think that's when I had attempted to try fasting. Um, and I think the only person in my house that mainly fasts is my mom from like our nuclear unit. 
um, like my grandparents do fast. Um, so do my aunt and uncles, but like from my family, it was mainly my mom that would fast. So it wasn't like all of us were doing it. So it was just like people kind of pick and choose. And like, she was mainly the one that would fast. So she would make meals that would um, be kind of aligned with the criteria of fasting. So she could probably eat like once a day or she would be able to like snack on things, but it could be like only very specific things, like things that couldn't have certain oils in them or that could have certain ingredients in them. So I was always familiar with her doing these things. And I felt like, okay, well, I have these options if I were to fast, but I never fully participated until one day, I forgot which specific holiday it was. And we were going to go to the Monday or the temple to go pray later that day. And before prayer was like, okay, we're going to start our morning with like fasting, like the day's going to be fasting. And then we're going to go to the temple to pray. And then at some point in that day, we would have our meal. So I was like, okay, I woke up, you know, got showered, got dressed. I was like, okay, we're going to go to the prayer at, at noon. So, you know, I'm just going to kind of like go one step at a time to like eventually get through the day. And, um, it was what, like maybe like 11 AM or something. And, you know, it was time to take my medication, took my medication and then I just started feeling super nauseous. I just started feeling really, really nauseous. I feel like I needed to throw up. And I'm like, okay, I don't know if it's because of my medication. Is it because I didn't eat? And so I kind of just waited it out. And I pretty much had like this migraine that would not leave me. And I told my mom and she was like, oh, it may have to do with like you taking your medication. Like maybe you should eat. And I was like, well, no, I'm fasting. Like I'm fasting for the holiday. I'm not going to eat. And she's like, but maybe you shouldn't fast. Like you should just eat. And then I was like, all right, screw it. I got tempted so quickly. Like I got swayed in within like five minutes. I was like, screw it. (laughs) Ended up eating pizza. And like, I felt great afterwards. (laughs) And it was literally the fact that I took my medication um, and then I felt nauseous. And it was pretty much me taking something very strong on an empty stomach. There was nothing in my body to absorb the medication that essentially what ended up happening was me feeling nauseous, me having a migraine. And so what I realized is that like, yes, it's important to fast and you can fast. Um, You know, there are these designated times to do so in your religion, but I know with taking medication, what I've learned is that like, if I take medication, I have to eat something. I can't take it on an empty stomach and I'm taking medication two times a day. So it's like, I am left in a position where if I didn't eat something and if I just took on some sort of fast that I would probably feel horrible the entire day so it almost defeats the purpose of fasting right because like you're fasting to almost essentially like deprive yourself of like the things that we're so dependent on almost right and to build up our will but if you're going to end up feeling horrible and regretting (laughs) what you just did I think you get to understand that like, if it's not going to work for you, like what is more important? And I felt like for me, I had Mm -hmm. to do it almost so I could feel a part of celebrating that holiday. But then in turn, that essentially led to me just feeling horrible, like not Mm -hmm. feeling good physically. Right. And so it took a toll on me because I'm like, okay, I don't feel good physically, but I feel really connected to like why I'm doing what I'm doing. But Mm -hmm. then essentially like, 
I'm doing that, but then I'm also sacrificing how I'm feeling and how I'm managing in my day. So it's like, you're kind of stuck between the two essentially. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I, I think I never went back to fasting until like more recently. I think it's probably been at least like seven, eight years since I tried to fast. Um, last year I ended up fasting and I told you ladies, uh, when I had my 10th kidney anniversary, I was like, I'm just going to go for, I'm going to fast. Cause it felt like such a challenge to even do it <laughs> from when I last remember that I was like, can I do it? Like, you know, let's see if it's possible. So pretty much I did the, the fast of like, um, technology first and foremost. And then second was like fasting of meals. But what I ended up happening was I picked a few things that I could have that was like snacks to kind of sustain me. So it was just like mainly fruit that I could have. Mm -hmm. Um, and with that being said, I felt so much better and I felt like so capable of fasting, but like, obviously I did have a few things to eat. It was just like fruit, but, um, I felt like if I, if we can find a way to feel incorporating, like what you were saying and find a way to like, still be a part of it and not feel like we're completely separated from the experience that I think that's the best middle point for us. So I felt like now that I did experience quote unquote fasting where like, I just incorporated fruit here and there that like in the future, I feel like I would be much more capable of fasting. Like for example, with my mom for a holiday because I, I got through it and I made it work for me, but I wasn't taking advantage of like the actual purpose of fasting. You know what I mean? So mm. I think it's just like figuring out a way to make it work for you. But I do recognize that like when you're not a part of it and you're seeing everybody else do it, that you feel like you're not as religious or that you're not right. as like strict, you know what I mean? And it's like, I think that's the the unfortunate part of many religions is that like you're either a part of it or you're not so it's like we've we've experienced this so many times with other things where we almost feel like the outsider mm -hmm. so this is just another example right with religion where it's like it's not a group activity like you're not a part of it if and it's inclusive versus exclusive yeah. uh so i think in those cases um I've kind of just been on my solo journey of trying to figure out how it works. But I would say my mom was like a very good example of like fasting, you can say. And I always compared it to her and I just felt like guilty if I ate. Um, but it, it kind of, I had to make my decision and essentially I'm, I'm at where I'm at. But I realized with religion and fasting specifically that um, they make it like pretty much impossible for someone wanting to do mm -hmm. it and they and they almost test you where it's like do you really want to do it like if you really want to do it like you would suffer for it and I'm like I don't know if I want to suffer <laughs> for it <laughs> you know I've heard that yeah a few times <laughs> yeah so that's essentially how I experience it in a nutshell so I don't know mm -hmm. Fachi you said that you've heard that many times um I don't know if there's a specific yeah. example or experience that you want to share, but I think that definitely resonates with a lot of people. No, I agree. It does. Um, there was a time where we used to go to this thing. It's called a, like a Dida, um, where you just, you know, have like women together, you know, and they discussing religion and, you know, um, 
you know, just things like that. And there was someone who mentioned that um, to me specifically, like, you know, when I was explaining to her why I couldn't fast. Um, and she was just like, well, you know, if you really wanted this, you could definitely suffer for it. God would see your efforts, you know, just those type of, you know, talks. And it's like, you're making me feel even worse because first of all, I didn't ask for this medical condition, right? I didn't ask to be taking medication tw every 12 hours. And on top of that, you're telling me like, oh, if I, you know, if I want the rewards of something, I should suffer for it. Is that really the advice that we're giving people, you know? Um, I didn't take it too seriously, of course, because I knew my situation, but maybe versus someone else would take that kind of like, oh yeah, maybe I do need to, you know, step it up and make more of an effort. You know what I mean? Definitely. I can see people getting easily influenced by it because they want to be a part of it at the end of the day. Right. And I feel like religion in itself is like, I don't want to say strict, but there's so many rules to it that it's almost one of those things. If you don't really live true and aligned with it, then it's like, you're not, you can't be a part of it. Like you're almost losing in a lot of situations. So it, it's unfortunate if people feel like are preaching religion to you almost in a way where it's like, you can't be religious if you have X, Y, and Z, but like what you said, Fatu, you, you didn't choose to have kidney disease. I don't think anyone wants to choose to have kidney disease, but it's like, this is our circumstance. So it's like, how do you create the space for like forgiveness and all of those things that like, what religion is teaching you to like support somebody who's going through something like us um, mm -hmm. to make us feel included. Absolutely. Absolutely. And think, there needs to um, be, sorry, oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, go, go ahead. Fidima. Now I was just going to say that religion um, to some extent requires that personal sacrifice. And like, I just hearing from you and Hiral, what you are all sharing right now, is just that people also expect that same level of personal sacrifice from you um and we can no longer make those certain sacrifices because it would affect our health and at the end of the day you know if you're to some extent self-harming because your religion requires you to participate in certain activities or there's that societal pressure where um people make you feel like you have to and they don't understand why you can't anymore then you know, that's, that's against all religions, right? Like you need to take care of yourself and the gift of life. And so if taking part in certain religious activities or celebrations will put you in harm's way um, in the long term, then is it really worth it? I think that's the question at the end of the day. Um, and that's something really difficult to, to think about or like make as we go along because um, sometimes there's that guilt that comes, that comes, right? And also just that um, pressure sometimes from society or from family um, in participating in certain activities that we're not comfortable in or that we really do want to, we just don't know how or how to strike a balance between putting ourselves first because that's a priority shift that happens after you get diagnosed or after a transplant um, versus still being, you know, part of your religion and, and, you know, participating and feeling like you are, you know, included um, and not feeling too guilty about it. So I'm um, just hearing from what you both were sharing. It's just a dilemma. I think that it's something that we each face and 
um, that I'm sure other people face as well when it comes to just balancing. It's basically a balancing act. Um, but it's hard when you hear or when you get um, certain responses like that from, from you know, society and from people within your community. And yeah, it makes it hard. It makes it difficult. Are there any tips, I know, Faduma, that you've, you've kind of experienced both were like pre, pre-diagnosis where you were experiencing Ramadan with your family and then now post-diagnosis where you're still experiencing it with your family but slightly differently. Are there any tips or things that have supported you since then with still being a part of the experience and enjoying it with your family and friends and your community but like also still doing it within reason and means to um you know put your health first Mm -hmm. well with ramadan for example fasting is you know from sunset to sundown so no water nothing complete fasting from food and drinks and so sunset to sundown sometimes can be more than 12 hours and you know with post-transplant patients we are required to take medications every 12 hours so as a result there is absolutely no way we could partake in fasting unless we move to countries like New Zealand or Australia which their sunset to sundown time um, to sunrise sunset to sunrise time is much shorter than 12 hours Um, so in that case we can't take part in the physical fasting aspect of Ramadan, but I still think it's so, it's still special to sit down with your family when they're breaking their fast, you know, take part in that, help because you've, you have more energy throughout the day than they do, you know, you're eating, you're drinking your water. So helping with um, preparing um, the, the breaking fast um, dinner. So just being part of the, Ramadan activity throughout the day, um, you know, setting goals for yourself at the beginning of Ramadan, um, you know, in terms of, you know, how do you want to enrich your spiritual self and what ways can you do that? And then make that as part of your Ramadan goals. Um, It could be finishing the Quran from start to finish. It could be, you know, learning Arabic if you don't understand it um, so that you can better understand the verses that you're reciting. It could be, you know, doing supplications or praying during the nights um, could be, you know, charity. So I think intentionally just setting um, achievable goals for yourself at the beginning before Ramadan begins is super helpful because then you have a plan and you don't feel, you don't feel like you're not really partaking in Ramadan when it starts or you feel like you're not um, benefiting from it and that you're just out of it. Um, out of the spiritual month so that would be my that would be my take or that's something that's helped me is just setting those achievable goals before you start the month that's awesome yeah and I think to, that's... yeah yeah you know, for you, um you fasting is different so there are ways for you to still partake in it um yeah like, said, like take some fruits here and there or drink some water yeah so there there's some fast where you can't eat until you get to choose like what meal you want to eat for that day. So either you can have like your lunch or you can have your dinner. So you can choose however you want to fast that way. And then there's also certain fasts where you can have um, particular snacks. And I think 
that's kind of become an exception just to make people feel more included. Where like you're not, you don't have access to everything that you would typically want to eat. But it's like you have to be particular in what you eat. So there's still that more discipline aspect of it. So I think that's to make it um, more accessible for people. But I've realized now that that is the option um, that I want to participate in more because I think for me, if that's the, I guess the middle point and if if I can create the, the and or the win-win, meaning like I still feel part of um, something religious and a, and a celebration itself or a holiday, but then also still have something in my system where I can like take my medications on time and not feel like I'm depleting my body. I still have nutrients in my body that like I want to start participating in more often, but I've realized the main thing for me is um, when there are these types of, I guess, holidays, you want to call it, or religious uh, celebrations that um, I just get connected to like my own relationship with God and just having that own separate dialogue or conversation where it's not, I feel like at the end of the day, it's not even about any of those things. It's just about like, what is your relationship with God one-on-one? Exactly. Because whether you go into a temple and you're around people or like whether you, you know, you're in prayer groups or whatever, it's like at the end of the day, once you leave those settings, like you being a human being and living on this earth, how are you showing up in the world? And like, is it aligned with a higher being seeing that, you know, you're doing all the things you can on this earth and you're not living you know, and sin, or you're not living in a, in a, in a way that's harmful to people and harmful to your environment. So I, I try to look outside, expand to that, where it's like, okay, if I want to just, you know, participate in some religious things here and there, then like, I've kind of lost the guilt where I just go into it when I feel like it resonates for me. And then I will also not participate if I feel like it doesn't resonate for me in that moment, if it's not like, prioritizing my health or not prioritizing like me physically or mentally that I'm like okay I can sit on my own and just like reflect or I can sit here and like just have like a small prayer and just connect in that way um because I think religion it is a group it 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 is very group focused and heavily group focused but I feel like at the end of the day it comes down to the individual relationship so for me when I separate it in that way, I realize that with group settings that I don't put so much emphasis on it and being a part of the group and the group way of thinking when it comes to religion. Because if I have my own separate individual relationship, then like, I know if someone puts me in a position like with Fatu, where the woman made that comment where it's like, okay, where if you're not participating with us, then like, you know, you're not sacrificing and you're not suffering, then like you need to find a way to do that where like she recognizes that that's not a part of her and she contributes in different ways. So she then focuses on on their individual relationship and like why she's doing what she's doing and like different ways she can help and support. So just finding different ways that I can support and that could be like through charity, that can be through like uh, fasting that can be through prayers that can be through um sitting and reflecting um that could be through you know just being a support to somebody else like what you said um 
I feel like if we just show up that way, how we want to show up and the greater purpose of all these things are for is essentially to like teach us a lesson and get us closer to like being better human beings. But like, if you already work on that and do that on your own, and if that's something you're mindful of, then I feel like all the other things are just additional things. And this is, and fasting is just an additional aspect of it, um, of just a way to like be a better person, I would say. Exactly. Like purge you almost, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Because in Islam, there's like, there's five pillars of Islam and Ramadan is just one of the pillars, you know? So just putting your energy and focusing on the four other pillars and just trying to, you know, make your relationship with God, like you said, Hira, like that one-on-one relationship, just focusing on that because at the end of the day, it's like what happens or your relationship with God is just between you and him and not like the sort of not focusing too much on the societal pressures or um, the group aspects of the religion. Um, Because sometimes, and I know in a lot of our cultures, that religion and culture sort of like, um sort of mix us up a bit um a hundred percent yeah that's where the pressure (laughs) comes from sometimes and um there's a lot of like expectations and yeah so trying our best to just you know not focus on that too much and just focus on what we can do um I think that would be super helpful I really like how you put it here all um but I wonder how you ladies have felt uh or how participating in certain celebrations has changed for you I know for both you and uh for you and Hiral and Fatu that um you know being diagnosed with kidney disease from a very early age that it's been a part of your life longer than mine so I just wonder how celebrations have been like for you festivities again I know with our cultures <laughs> religion and culture sort of inter intermix sometimes and so I know that there's a lot of communal gatherings um you know, where there's a lot of group functions, group activities. So how have you ladies both coped with that? Or are there certain situations that have made you feel uncomfortable? Um, I can definitely say that it has changed a lot for me. Um, When I was a kid, you know, the Eid and even even though I wouldn't fast, um, I would still like participate in the fast break. Like I would eat with everyone, right? <laughs> so, you know, we gather in one huge bowl and, you know, eat um, like a rice dish or, you know, pasta dish or, you know, just our main, the main dishes shared with everyone. Um, so, you know, since we are immunocompromised now, that's not happening with me anymore. I can no longer sit um, and share food with everyone. Um, because of the, you know, obvious reasons. Um, So that has definitely changed. And just also maybe being around like too many people. I actually remember specifically um, the year I got my transplant, May 2015, Ramadan was, was, was a few months after that. I think Ramadan was in August of that month. And I remember we actually went to the mosque um, and it was, it was, um, it was time for to us all to break our fast. And I just remember like my mom telling um, this, one of the women like, oh, can you make her a separate plate? Um, you know, and it, it was a little awkward for me because, you know, I'm, we're so used to, you know, you don't do that 
basically when you're yeah. around a lot of people, you, you know, you all, you know, get down and you all share a meal. That's part of the, you know, the fun of, of um, fast breaking. But, um, you know, that has, like I said, that had changed for me because I cannot, I cannot, you know, share food with people, especially I was so vulnerable at that time. Yeah. So she was, the lady was a little snarky about it. You know, I could tell, but I knew that, you know, I had my reasons for why I was doing it. I wasn't doing it because I was trying to be bougie or, you know, stuck up. It was yeah. because of health reasons. Um, so that is the main thing that's really changed is just sharing food with people. Um, I, we can still gather. I, st- I feel comfortable well, at that time before COVID, of course, I felt comfortable with gathering with people. Um, but I would say that's probably my main thing overall sharing meals sharing meals yeah yeah um um, I would say with Hinduism um there's not really like a sharing meals type of situation um it's usually like people will in celebrations and things like that like what people will gather and like make the food and then serve other people um but like you're pretty much eating on your own I would say with me once I had the transplant and just like being around other people and being in larger settings where like, if you're touching someone's hand or if you're, you know, you're in close proximity of other people that it was like, I was kind of concerned about like the germs and just being in contact with people um, because you do get into these, these huge spaces and these huge gatherings and like, everyone's kind of sharing the space together. And then at the end of the day, you don't know how to function, right? Because it's like, someone could be sick, someone could be coughing, someone could be sneezing, like someone's in your face, someone's like trying to like give you a hug, like shake your hand. And essentially post-transplant, they're always tell you like, if you're in larger settings, wear a mask. And they said this from the beginning, right? So this doesn't even have to do with COVID. Like once you get a transplant they always tell you like be careful to like if you're in group settings like if you're for example um on a plane or if you're in like at a wedding or something like be mindful of being in group settings like wear a mask and I honestly only wear a mask mainly like after I had my transplant I think for like the first six months or so um and then when I would travel but like I didn't wear masks when I was like get in gatherings for like um, different holidays and things like that. I just didn't because I knew immediately if I did, like people would look at me differently. And I'm like, there's already a barrier there. I don't want another barrier. But I also realized like being in those settings that I was around people who literally had no idea who they were. And they want to like talk to me because they know my parents or whatever. They want to ask me about my health because somebody found out that I have kidney disease or whatever the, the conversation was about. But it was like, there's so many people around and I didn't know how to like act. So it was like these celebrations put you in these settings where you feel uncomfortable because you don't want to be rude and you don't know how else to act. But like, cause there's like the respect aspect and all that. But then it's like, I have a transplant, I'm you know, immunocompromised. So like, I shouldn't be in this kind of setting, but then you kind of just end up in those settings. And then as soon as you like do something to make yourself more comfortable essentially you're putting in another barrier like let's say fatu if it's like we're sitting around and it's like we're somehow we're happening happening to share a dish that like 
immediately if I say like, no, I don't want to eat that or like, hey, I don't feel comfortable with people like double dipping or whatever, that essentially it's like me isolating myself, me not being a part of the group, wearing a mask. It's like, oh, you think we're like gross. So you think we have like, you know, cooties or that we, we're carrying something and that like, you don't want to be around us. But it's like, you're, you're essentially, <laughs> you're essentially having to do the things that like you don't feel comfortable doing because essentially if you do, you're going to be an outsider. And that's with religion, right? It's like group or no group. And then if, as soon as you show up as an individual in the group, they're like, okay, who are you? Like, well, you think you're better. You think yeah. you have like, <laughs> you know, you think you can make exceptions and stuff like that. And I'm like, no, I'm just protecting myself. So I think I, I've, I've realized I kind of like did not prioritize myself when it comes to religion because I tried to make exceptions. So I don't feel different. And unfortunately that leaves us in situations where like, you know, we're trying to fast when we probably shouldn't be fasting or like we're trying to, you know, eat from the same plate when like we probably shouldn't be, or like we'll go and we'll show up even if we like don't feel good and like we won't wear a mm-hmm. mask because we don't want people to ask us questions. So like it, it gets very, very tricky managing. But also um, I think it's because um a lot of people still think people believe that getting a transplant means you're cured and that life is back to normal for you. You can go to pre-diagnosis life, you can participate in anything and everything. And so when you set those barriers or you, you know, communicate that you can't eat from a big plate with everyone, or you can't like, or that you need to wear a mask um, in certain events, I think people would just think that we are either overthinking things or we're overreacting or that we, you know, are putting the set, like we want to be like the center of attention or something because they don't understand that a kidney transplant is a treatment, not a cure and that we need to take certain precautions basically for the rest of our lives. And sometimes communicating that, I know that people I've experienced where people would look at me or, or comment or, or feel like I'm, I'm overreacting or I'm making my situation bigger than it needs to be, but that's the reality for us. And I think we need to accept the fact that it's not our responsibility all the time to always communicate what our situation is or make people understand where we're coming from because at the end of the day as long as we're taking care of ourselves and taking care of the second chance at life and doing everything that we can then that's that's what matters and again the relationship that we have with our religion that one-on-one relationship that's what counts um we can you know communicate as much as we can you know like share our story or like share reasons why but not letting ourselves being bogged down or um, being weighed down with the fact that people don't really understand the why, no matter how much we communicate this. So yeah, um, I hope uh, I hope that makes sense to you, ladies. And uh, I think this is a really useful and a much needed discussion. Um, again, with Ramadan coming up, also. I know we're just, it's not just the three of us who go through this. Um, so, yeah, uh, chat to you all next time. Bye.